Dave, do you want to introduce him before we kick like this conversation off? Mackenzie, do you want to introduce yourself? No, not really. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, to start us out, I have queued up the Panther Roar that we always play. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. So this is Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, I'm your co-host, Miles. This is the other co-host, Dave. And we have... uh, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Dave. Do you want to do you want to intro Mackenzie? Okay, hi. Yeah. hi. <laughs> um, so we're talking about this is this is the first film in uh, Nick Cage's uh, self titled uh, Midnight trilogy, um, eight millimeter Joel Schumacher's eight millimeter. A um, Joel Schumacher production. Bringing out the dead. I'm guessing that's one of them. Yeah, that's the next one, and uh, Gone in sixty seconds. Is or Snake Eyes. He he also decided that Snake Eyes could could have been the first uh, film in in the trilogy. Yeah, but that's Nick a, Cage like can have a four film trilogy. Yeah, and that's sort of <laughs> that's part for the course. That's on brand, I think. Yeah, it's just a little. It's just a little too much. Have uh had you seen this movie before? Eight millimeter. I yeah, I saw it like a few weeks ago, actually. No, but I mean before. Uh, bef- wait, so you just watched this before I asked you to be on? Yeah, it was weird how it worked out. Like, I watched it, and then, like, maybe a week later or something, you asked me to do it. I thought uh, I thought someone, like, told you. No. <laughs> well, that's really uh, it crazy. Was, it was very, yeah, it was very strange. Why, why did you watch this movie? I don't know. It sounded all right. It had, uh, I mean, it had Joaquin Phoenix and James Gandolfini in it, and so I figured... Uh, you know, it'd probably not be all bad or, you know, and, and what, all right. what was your takeaway? In- uh, my takeaway is, uh, that we have, uh, we've turned our backs on God. <laughs> I mean, the, and, 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 and I think this is really like a, a huge problem that I have with this movie. Uh, you know, despite the obvious, thing you could say that it just makes you feel gross and you feel implicated in it just by watching it. Yeah. I've been having that experience a lot lately with like almost every movie I watch and maybe this started it. What what other movies? Uh, I, well, I finally watched, um, I finally watched a clockwork orange for the first time. What? Yeah, I know. I, I think I just had bad associations with that and Full Metal Jacket as just sort of being like the part of Kubrick's uh, filmography that sort of like bros could just sort of have. Right. And I never got around to watch. Yeah, and that's then fair. I watched. Yeah, so I watched. Uh, surprisingly, this uh, Clockwork Orange didn't make me. It made me feel more gross than Full Metal Jacket did, which is as gross and more plausible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I just kind of been on a kick of like war movies, I guess. And they're all making me feel gross. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like I'm going to be the, the defender of this movie, I guess. Well, I, I, the thing is, is I don't think it's it's an all movie. Yeah. I don't think it's an altogether bad movie. I just, there's something about how utterly nihilistic it is that really makes me, like I'm never going to see this again and I yeah. wouldn't have chosen to watch it if mm-hmm. not for this podcast. It's just not a subject like just the, the synopsis doesn't interest me at all. And honestly, I was kind of right. 
yeah. I mean, it th- it had more redeeming qualities than I initially was expecting, but at the same time, it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it's just so nihilistic. And then, like, at the end of it, you're just like, why did I watch that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I feel like in the, like the 90s kind of returned to noir without, like, really uh, – without any of the like social commentary of it, I guess. Like if if someone just like brutally murdered like one or two fucked up people that was like make that was making the world a better place. It well I, th- I think nihilism was really fresh in the late nineties. It it felt That's a weird thing to say, it, like nihilism was ever fresh. Well I, I it just <laughs> Okay, so so some context for this movie. Um, it's not the same anymore. I, <laughs> it, well, it's not honestly. Honestly, like, like, like since nihilism is is like all over the internet now. But like yeah. when when uh, Fight Club came out, or you know whatever kids or or whatever like movie you want to point to, it felt new and fresh. And and this movie, I um, was written by I, I didn't write down his name, but the guy who wrote. Seven. Um, ah, honestly, the, I still haven't watched it. Oh, like, really? It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good, but it okay. is the sort of thing where like people who don't have taste in movies see that and it like blows their mind. Right. That was me in high school. Like I, I saw that movie in high school, and I was like, you know, when I was seeking out the most fucked up things I could watch to like push myself, and it was like, oh shit, this is what I this is what I've been looking for. And same, I saw Eight Millimeter in high school too, and and it like it sort of uh introduced me to a bunch of th- like i didn't know what snuff films were but um you know it and look at you now and look at me now <laughs> the west coast's uh single foremost expert on the history of the snuff film uh we can go into that i i have some knowledge but like the basically there there are two themes i think that this movie tries to hammer home that um that both seven did better um, in part because David Fincher is a better filmmaker than Joel Schumacher. I'm going to, uh, that this is a conversation for later on. Okay. Okay. Hot, hot take. Maybe they're friends though. I, I, learned. I, I don't doubt it. Um, but, uh, there, there are these two themes that I, I guess must've felt, or I, and I know felt fresh in the, um, in the late nineties, which like one of them was the closer you get to, you know, what, what is it? It's all about like you dance with the devil and the, the devil, yeah, the leads or yeah, whatever. Uh, like, but what's his name? I think Joaquin Phoenix has a really good line where he says, he, he says later, he's like, the devil's changing you already, man. You know, like the, you, see what I mean? Yeah, this movie is, a, is about the, the loss of Christian values. <laughs> well, I, I think it's just, it's like, you can't you can't have a a distance you can't have a distance from this stuff if you want to like mm. get into it and it it, yeah. it will change you and then also that that it's pointless basically that like we want to ascribe this like a a greater significance and and a greater story to the evil in the world, but that it actually doesn't, Yeah, it, and, it doesn't have one. It's just, it, and it evil just exists. And something that I thought actually landed really well for me in this movie when a lot of the rest of it didn't. So there's two instances. First, when he's talking to the butler, right? And right. he asks him, why did he do this? And his answer is because or he could. The, the lawyer. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. The lawyer. And he's like, why, why, yeah. why, why did he, why did he pay to have this snuff film made? And his answer is because he could. Yeah. And then later on in the climax, when he's fighting, the like pudgy, yeah. like New York Italian 
dude with the glasses yeah. that you De- <laughs> detective Andy from true blood. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, he says something like, you know, people, people wonder how I can do this. And, and, and the simple answer is because I like it. Right. And it, and it just yeah. goes back to what you were saying. It's like, you know, Nick Cage r- ruins himself psychologically uh, and like debases himself to yeah. the level of the people he was fighting right. uh, in order to get the job done and follow through. And then at the end of it all, there's not, not, not only is there not an answer, but it's almost worse than if there had not been an answer. Right. Just yeah. the answer because I can. Right. Is like is the worst thing you could hit at the end of the line when you've sacrificed everything to like get here. And then that's that's the answer. And well <laughs> and, and that and that's the big reveal that I I think the writer when he was doing it was like, Yeah, fuck yeah. This but that's is what I mean is like <laughs> Yeah, but that's why this is such a fucking nihilistic movie. Right. And 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 it almost feels like a cop out. Like and I know you're saying maybe in the 90s it was fresher so that was like a, a bigger reveal than it is but when i was watching well, it i, I think, was i don't know it felt like think, super anticlimactic to me i think part of the reason it feels like a cop-out is because uh i did read a little bit about the movie and like the the writer just wanted it to be just like non-stop like grotesque exploitation and then they brought on joel schumacher to sort of make it uh, like a bit more, I guess, lighthearted and relatable. Uh, yeah. So I, I think Success. that, it, yeah, <laughs> I think that the entire idea of there even being like a moral heart to the story, um, or like a human heart to the story was kind of an afterthought. Yeah. So and, it just would have been like just a total shit show the entire time. Yeah. It, um, it's supposed to be a wallow. But like the way, like they they introduce the characters like the same way they introduce every like character in the '90s, which is like that he's either married or an architect or both. <laughs> and, and he has a little like, baby, oh, a little a beautiful yeah, exactly. little baby. Yeah, he's a workaday family man, loves his wife, mm-hmm. and but he has to like James Gandolfini on fire. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, the the world drives him to it. I mean, let's yeah. let's lay out the plot really quickly cuz cuz we can really quickly. It's that Nick yeah. Nick Cage is a a private detective who gets hired by an old rich woman who um finds in her recently deceased husband's affects uh a 8 millimeter film of seemingly portraying a young girl getting killed in the it, what looks like a nine inch nails video. Um, yeah. and, uh, she wants to know if it's real. So he investigates and spoiler it's real. Um, and spoiler, the truth is far more harrowing than you expect yeah, at the beginning of the movie. But to, to, to do that, he has to go deep into the, the world of, uh, underground sex media. I don't, I don't know. It's not even pornography. It's just like the worst kind of, uh, depravity at that point. Right. And, and it changes him. Um, and now, so I, I want to hit on a couple things, which like, first of all, like snuff films, it do exist at this point. I know because there's like, I, I don't know. Y- are you guys familiar with the Luca Magnata case? No, I am. I no. choose to not know about that. Yeah. Well, he's a dude who killed people on film. And, um, and basic there's a, there, 
it exists now because everybody has cameras and um, and there are a lot of bad people in the world. And the thing that that really like blew me away as a teenager that didn't land for me as an adult is that like um, so Joel, Joel Schumacher specifically said that like he he really wanted to make sure that this film didn't feel exploitative in the sense that it was like romanticizing um, these, this world. But I think he yeah. kind of, he kind of overcorrected by making it, it's just the dankest, dirtiest, like every sing, everywhere that Nick Cage goes is just fucking filthy and dark and full of like the creepiest looking perverts. And yeah, um, it's like some guy with like cockroaches coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And, and, and like, and, corn chip nails and like a fucking like gangrenous iguana on a chain or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and, and actually which, 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 well, I'm sorry, Dave, well, finish, I, finish what you were saying. I mean, uh, the point that I'm getting to is that like in, uh, and the point that this movie is kind of trying to make is that the actual evil is pretty banal, like, and it, it the banality of it, banality, banality is, uh, yeah. it is part of what makes it really horrifying. And, um, so like, but I, I mean, you know, okay. So when he unmasks machine at the end and, and he's, he, he's killing him and, and machine gives this like off the cuff, like speech as he's dying, like, wow, you want an explanation, blah, blah, blah. But, (laughs) but he's in a fucking graveyard. It's like, you know, like, yeah, which, which actually, sorry to interrupt Dave, but this, but, but this perfectly, perfectly like lines up with it, with a huge point that I was going to bring up that I I think you hit on where he overcorrects. So every single, like a Gandolfini's office, uh, the weird like warehouse where, uh, where Dino Velvet is like going (laughs) to film. Okay. Okay. Also, sorry to digress. Can we talk about these fucking names? Dino Velvet, Dino Velvet, Eddie Poole, Machine, and Max California. Come on. So good. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, the, the, the like Dino Velvet warehouse where they're going to, where they're, they're going to film, uh, and then, yeah, uh, like you were saying, the, the the graveyard at the end, and then also when he asks uh, Gandolfini's character to take him to where they shot the oh, snuff film, that right. like that blown out like abandoned like graffitied squat house, yeah, like all of these sets look like literal Batman villain layers, <laughs> and and then and and then it dawned on me that he made this movie right <laughs> after he made the Batman movie, right after he ruined the yeah. Batman franchise. So like, so I I feel like uh, like this. this Maybe he like he was so defeated after those Batman movies that I just imagine him meeting like Christopher Nolan in a parking lot at four in the morning <laughs> and like handing him a like a Manila envelope and being like, "You gotta make you gotta make it warehouses." <laughs> <laughs> this is what it is. It's where or or I feel like he like he made Batman and Robin and just got like torn apart justifiably and was like, "You want dark? I'll show you dark." <laughs> I got the darkest script anyone's ever written. Well, and then also the whole idea, like toward the last like third of the movie where uh, Cage's character becomes a literal vigilante. Yeah. Like, like meeting yeah. out street justice. Like that's Batman. Yeah. It you is know Batman. what I mean? So, and, 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 and it's, and it's way more the dark Knight version of Batman than like Schumacher's Batman right. because he's you like, don't see his nipples. Right. Well, f- let's start there. You never see his <laughs> Are nipples. You sure? Wait, wait. 
Can we can we confirm that you do not see Nicholas Cage? I don't know. I, no, do I, I would have taken note of that. Okay. Um, okay. We, we don't. <laughs> we we see uh, machines nipples. We see uh, D- Detective Andy's nipples, but um, we see a lot of nipples. We see and movie. we see some female nipples, but that's it. I think the nipple count is at like eight. Do we see Max? Do we see Max California's nipples? We don't. Uh, no, he he wears a or belly shirt. Dude, we I, see his belly. He wears that ridiculous yeah. midriff shirt. <laughs> Um, but this was also an awesome Joaquin Phoenix role. Dude, he's so good in this. He was like probably the saving grace of this for me. Cage said that he he felt like he was like looking at a younger version of himself. He was like that it, it was uh, it reminded him of when yeah. he was young yeah. and hungry. He wishes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But I I I like too that he. He has a whole conversation with him when when Nick Cage tries to like you know convince him to come on as his like assistant because he needs help navigating the the porn underworld right and and he goes like so he's talking about like coming out here with his uh, with his band to try to make it big uh, and then um, you know and then and then he doesn't and then he eventually takes up the job in the porn shop right and then he's like and then before you knew it. Or he's like, and then like before I kn- like knew it, I like woke up and, and this was my world or something. Yeah. So so he's trying to warn him that it's like really easy to just like slip into it before you realize what, what's happening. What was the what was the band that uh, Max California was trying to? It, I, oh, I didn't I write down the it name. Down. It was like it was like hardcore spank or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I just care about my music. <laughs> Would this movie? Uh, here, here's a brief tangent we can go on. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts in terms of like this movie? Because it came out in '99. Yeah, I think. Yeah, being like sort of like internet anxiety. Yeah, I I, I think sort of. I, I think so. I mean, I I think that this movie wouldn't have been made in the same way like three to five years later, and it, they, could, it couldn't have been made right. Three to it five would have, years like later. Max California would have just been teaching his uncle how to use a computer. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Well, and like that 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 also brings like, would this movie be boring? If it was took place in the age of the internet, like would it just be like Nick Cage like on the dark web yeah, for two hours? It would be like a techno thriller. Yeah, yeah and he would. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they even mention that he uh, he mentions that when they go into that like warehouse where they have like you know cardboard like labels that say like kids stuff and like, oh yeah, where they have know. all the boxes of like the worst of the worst, and it's like. I mean, that's just no you just know these people are like the worst sorts of yeah of, yeah yeah but they they mentioned that is he's like yeah it's getting this is changing this a you know the 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 whole game is changing so you can just sit behind your computer and it's true um i i also like i mean even just the fact that the film is shot on eight millimeter and they <laughs> when they when they meet dino velvet and Nick Cage is pretending that he's uh, a fan of his. He's like, you shoot on film. It, it's like, you know, you really respect the craft. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it, it's a lost art. In, in part, this film is a, not a love letter, but, um, y- you know, a eulogy, I guess, for, uh, you know, the, yeah. when porn had big budgets, big I, budget I, porn. I, I, love, I love how he describes, uh, Joaquin Phoenix describes Dino Velvet as the Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Of of of, uh, of bondage or something like that, yeah. and you're like, oh my god, like, <laughs> dude, the the clips we get of the uh, Dino Velvet films is one of my favorite parts of the <laughs> the movie. Where With it, like the bad like sub prodigy. No, like, it's Aphex Twin. It's playing. Oh, oh is it really? Twin. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like Window Licker or something. It's it, like the it's, first. It's come to daddy. Thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, uh, yeah, it's like if you if you went into Google and just typed Aphex Twin, like the first thing that would come up. Well, and, you and know, just which is not that they had Google, you know, I, I uh, you know, you, you type in a hotbot. Uh, <laughs> entry level, yeah. yeah. Um, I I just like and I like those those films and certain parts of this movie for the same reason that it's like you go to some square and you're like, what? Like, okay, we need to make the sickest fucking film. Like, you know, make us a sick film. And it's just that it's like clips of like, you know, guillotines falling and, and, uh, what just people in leather. Like, I mean, it looks like a bad yeah, nine inch like, nails like, video. It looks like a nine inch nails like video. The Grim Reaper standing in front of a strobe light or something. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're like, wow, we're, we're really in this world now. <laughs> but I, again, like not to harp on this, but you know, fast forward to now where you can at the click of a button, get the sickest film that you could want. And usually they're shot on like, you know, zero budget. And it's like, you know, someone like in their kitchen, like, I don't know, sticking a cleaver up their butt or something. It's like, it, it, it's, um, they're, they're not, it's not made with care. Well, and like, it's funny because like nowadays would this movie be called MP4? (laughs) You know what I mean? Where like, it's just like, like they, they, like you would, like you would get like a Dropbox link, you know what I mean? And then you'd open it. You'd be like, oh my God, it's a snuff film. Like what? People still, People still use MP4, so it'd have to be called like Vine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. It needs to be like slightly outdated. It's yeah. a secret Vine channel that uh, her husband was <laughs> had had made just for him. Okay, so I, I'm just gonna start pulling out uh, random shit from my notes. Um, Norman Reedus, aka Daryl from The Walking Dead, makes an appearance as uh, the the ex boyfriend of the murdered girl. And I don't know. Did you guys watch uh, The Walking I, Dead? You know, I never watched The Walking Dead. No, I never watched The Walking I don't. Dead. That's fine. I mean, my only point is that he's in this and he's really bad. Um, okay. But uh, he, you know, he aged into a, a much better role. I should hope so because this was not a good one for him. Okay. Did you guys notice that all the like the mom of the murdered girl and and every like blue collar character that they talk to have, has a southern accent yeah, for some reason? Except they're, even though they're in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. Like that's such a weird two dimensional, like you know, oh, oh, like like white trash character. Yeah, exactly. That was a really weird choice. Like, do you think it's just because like Schumacher is like really bougie and doesn't know the difference? I think I think Schumacher didn't catch it and didn't care, and I think that actress was like, oh, I I have to play a blue collar. She also really annoyed me. I don't she think bad. she she did not play that role convincingly in any way. Yeah, that that was stupid. I feel like directors used to also just do everything much more by the book for at least for a little while like in the 90s is that i mean like I, is that the book that like poor characters I think that's have to gotta be the book <laughs> like i like they just there was just a there was just like a shorthand for everything yeah and i feel like he probably like you know, had he probably had like a huge binder in his office that was just like poor. You're like, I have these are the accents I can use. Right, right, yeah. It's just like, yeah. Can you can you just make her make her sound a little bit more poor? Yeah, like that was the direction. <laughs> it wasn't like give her a southern accent. It was like make her sound poorer. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like improv class or something. Have Have you guys seen Hardcore? Yes. Thank you for saying that because that's I also wrote yeah. this down. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think the song "This Is Hardcore" was about 
Jarvis Cocker watching 8mm. <laughs> Jarvis Cocker is a huge Joel Schumacher fan. <laughs> Dude, he probably shares your uh, your auteur theory. <laughs> um, no, okay, so, but this this movie, like, and hardcore, hardcore is basically the same thing. It's George, George C. Scott's daughter uh, goes, mm-hmm. uh, disappears, and he has to dis- go into the early 80s porn world to find her. And the most famous shot or the most famous scene is him watching the movie with her. Oh, yeah. In yeah. It. And yelling, like, turn it off. Yeah. And it's been yeah. turned into a, a meme as all things good have. Um, yeah. And but um, there's like a they, they directly quote that in this with Nick Cage uh, watching the snuff film for the first time. And it's, uh, um, you know, I, I'm a big, like, uh, clearly a big defender and proponent of Nick Cage, even, like, when a lot of people would say he's overacting. But, like, put si- yeah. side by side with the George C. Scott moment, like, it's... it's Nick Cage, that, that, those, Nick Cage's reactions in that scene really bothered they're me. They're not good. They're, he, he did not, that was not Pete Cage. Yeah. When it could have been. No, he... Yeah, his his whole performance in this movie um, was it got slightly better toward the end as his character became, became more unhinged. But I think, I think, oh sorry, finish. no, I, I mean I was just gonna say that this is not this is uh, this is in the lower echelon of my of my it, uh, preferred Cage performances. performances yeah. yeah, I la I, I I laughed out loud. Uh, during the scene where he, the, the one you mentioned earlier where he's talking to uh, Dino Velvet yeah. and he's pretending to be into his movies. <laughs> and he's like, he's he's simultaneously Nick Cage overacting and also just like trying to stay in jail. Uh, or because like that's what he's supposed to be doing in the scene, you know, is like having a secret and hoping the guy doesn't find out. Right. Yeah. He, he just, he's acting as a character who's acting and it becomes really like weirdly meta. For some reason, something about that felt like more out of hand than like anything else he did in the movie. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. The the scene that made me where I kind of like turned on this performance was after he uh, kills uh, James Gandolfini and he comes, he comes out of the like fucked up, uh, he, he like pistol whips him or whatever and, and comes out and we, there's just a shot of his hand shaking, but it's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's just corny. It, it's like, I, I, I like, okay. So in terms of the like themes of like, okay, you dance with the devil and you become the devil's dance partner or whatever. Like I just didn't, I, I didn't I like how every time you quote that, you say, it's you fucking, say something yeah, different. It's yeah. fucking stupid. You, you dance with the devil and you better put out. He danced with the devil and the devil teaches you how to twerk. But you, he, <laughs> I, I just didn't buy it. Like I know that it, it's like in the script, you know, and clearly that's the arc of the movie, but He's Nick Cage's character is like one dimensional from the start and he he turns into a vigilante. But like this movie, unlike hardcore, which isn't like a great movie, but but I think it does everything this movie does way better. Way better. So like my it, advice, if you want to see eight millimeter, just, just see watch hard. hardcore. Yeah, just watch yeah. hardcore. It, hardcore. The journey is an internal journey. I mean, he George C. Scott goes into a bunch of gross places but it's about him having to accept 
the this uh, I mean spoiler for hardcore too but like his you know his daughter ran away on purpose she, she wasn't like the big tragic thing is that like if I remember correctly like he you know she chose that life over being with him and you know that's fucked up and psychologically heavy whereas this movie everything that happens is external like we it hits the notes of like nick cage's transforming you know you dance with the devil and you put on the devil's shoes but <laughs> he um he, it, it doesn't we don't actually see him really transform in any like way that resonates and going back to um yeah so the the writer of this movie uh, disowned the movie because of the changes that joel schumacher made to make it more light. I mean, how but, how gritty was his original version? Okay, well, I'll tell you. In the original version, the original ending was Nick Cage being so distraught that he just drove his car into a wall and died. That's cool. <laughs> I almost prefer that ending, even though it makes it more nihilistic, which is like one of my main qualms with this movie. Yeah. I, I almost feel like that's a truer ending. I, it is a true. It, it's truer to the in, spirit in way, of the film. It kind of would have been more redemptive because it just feels like he goes on like a crazy bloodbath, and then it's just fine. Yeah, I well, and and there's that scene where he calls the girl's mom and basically asks for permission to kill these guys, and that's like. Now, keep in mind, the mom has no fucking clue what he's been doing since she last saw him. So he just calls her out of nowhere, doesn't catch her up at all. And he's just like, please, please let me kill these guys. I know. Well, he he wakes her up, too. She was like sleeping. He's like, hey, hey, if I could kill the guys who did it, could I do that? And she's like, yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, But that's like, I, I mean that was the closest to like a, a real, like uh dark, uh, like internal emotional moment. But otherwise, I mean, it's just like, Oh, and also like his wife is like angry that he's not spending time at home and, and stuff, but it's just, I don't know. His, like his Catherine Keener in a wasted, just role. wasted, so wasted. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that the nihilism landed for me, but the like, you know, it, it, it pulling him into that world didn't. And I guess in part, I guess because Schumacher uh, swerved at the end, <laughs> so to speak. And um, would you say he pivoted? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he jerked the wheel and, and uh, landed at sort of a weirdly false happy ending that. This goes back to what I was saying at the end of the Snake Eyes episode. It's another instance where like the character, like the protagonist saves the day and more or less puts everything back in place. Yeah. But his life is like ruined right. because of his experience. But it falls flatter in this one. And yeah. here's why I think. Because in Snake Eyes, he was legitimately he he was a he was a corrupt cop and he was an asshole, but he essentially like set the status quo back on track. Right. But in this one, he doesn't really solve any problem. He just kills more people. Yeah, true. <laughs> he, he avenges a death with a couple other deaths and gets Joaquin Phoenix killed also. Yeah. Yeah, true. the truest crime. And and also tells the, I mean, I'm sorry, like you can say what you want about having a moral obligation at that point because you know the truth, but the ignorance is bliss. Just let the mom think that she ran away. 
don't call the mom up, wake her up out of the blue, and then tell her her daughter was got, got was killed in a snuff film, and can and can you please kill the people that did it? Like, just let the mom think the daughter ran away. Like, it's just so much. Like, I I, I had a real problem with that. Like, I mean, I know there's a lot of things in this movie to take offense to, but like that, yeah. that really bothered me for some reason. So I think something I remember thinking from when I first saw this in high school that I, I felt again uh, this time was that at like an hour and a half, the movie seems like it should be over, which is when I the, noticed that too. the big showdown in the, uh, you know, with the crossbow and everything where uh, Joaquin Phoenix dies. And Which was more climactic than anything that came after it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think the, like, him going to Machine's house and everything I think is memorable and, like, interesting, but it, it just doesn't... His it, mom's, like, house in Long Island. Yeah, well, and you get that, you get that great, like, it's just, it, he, he shows up at the house, and we see the mom in the window, and she's like, I love you. You're the best son ever. I'm going to church now. <laughs> you know, um, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but the scene where he, uh, he goes to Machine's house, um, did you ever see Dead Zone? Yeah. Uh, it just, it seemed like almost a direct copy of the scene in the, uh, near the beginning of the film where he like apprehends the serial killer. Yeah, it is. like the serial killer's mom is there and it's like, I love my son. Right, right. The, the nihilism of this movie feels kind of smug in the, in a way that like that, that whole scene was a setup just for machine to give that speech about that like none of this you know there's no point to any of this yeah and, the, the tears in the rain speech yeah, yeah and like that feels a bit like um the writer kind of like shoving your face and shit and just being like you see you see like yeah and, well, yeah, and it's also like people are bad because they're bad and it's right. like dude no like look at the fucking world like no shit like do i need to watch a movie about like people being like the worst form of humans. Yeah. The, just to have you tell me that like some people are just like this way, get over it. And you know, if you want to see a movie that does that, just watch seven, like seven does everything that this movie does way better. So basically watch hardcore and, and seven, seven instead of this movie yeah. is what I'm saying. You basically get this movie, but you don't have to sit through it. Uh, is this the first time you guys have done a, a podcast episode where you just told people not to watch it? No. no. Uh, we, <laughs> we watched a movie called Guarding Tess. Oh, yeah. That was really bad. That was one Wait, of the worst. What? Guarding Tess. It's literally okay. one of the worst films. Like, not even one of the worst Nick Cage films I've watched for this podcast, but literally one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Honestly, I felt worse coming out of that movie than this movie. That that movie made me more despairing for humanity. Uh, and there's there was also a a a, a 1990 uh, clunker called Firebirds. Yeah, Firebirds. Was that we real also bad. Uh, recommend you avoid entirely. It's got one really good scene in it though that you can find on YouTube. Um, that uh, I recommend everyone find on YouTube of Nick Cage flying a virtual reality helicopter. Um, so. <laughs> Do you feel like uh, this movie was kind of the start of, like, Nick Cage uncovering, like, the most dastardly uh, conspiracies? You mean this is like, this is like National Treasure, uh, the pre prequel? Yeah, or it, it almost like, uh, yeah, which I feel like 
yeah, National Treasure and Knowing. Oh, Knowing. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. He well, he said I don't know. This doesn't answer this, but he, he said that this was the most diff- challenging role that he had done besides this and leaving Las Vegas, which I think is really weird. Um, because again, he doesn't really do that much in this. He just like reacts. Yeah. I don't know what this is the start of. It's just, it, I, this is a weird just moment in film, I think, in the, the end of the Clinton years and um, just society as a whole, I think was just feeling this like weird malaise um, that uh, was being exploited by uh, people who were putting a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's it's almost like disruption porn, I guess. Yeah, so, in a way, there there is one thing that that, that I do want to bring up. Um, that again, it seems weird to bring this up only to say this movie didn't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like there's there so there is something really interesting to be investigated I think about you know the idea of runaways uh or you know yeah. or 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 like girls uh who like run away from home uh and then you know either become sex workers or go into porn somehow or something and like this idea that law enforcement doesn't bother to because like well you know maybe they deserve it or yeah. like, or, or maybe it's not worth finding them anyway. Like, you know, there, and, and, and I think that if it had tried to even broach that subject at all, then there would have been something like that I could have found in the movie that, that, you know, made me invest it or like made it worthwhile for me. But they miss that entire con, like they, 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 they don't even, you know, like touch that concept at all. Well, they, they touch it in in, in the and I wrote this down too the the scene of him going through just the archives of all the missing children and you know that that is harrowing and this idea that also like that these that there are so many missing kids and that in part this movie suggests some of them are are just literally just being killed for the amusement of the one percent. Um, and just, just rich people like actually just, uh, just having people killed for their own amusement. And, um, I don't know, there's, that's, that's real. That's, (laughs) that's scary. I, I, I felt like, like they were just, they were trying to sort of tap into this idea that there's just like this black hole that like, just like is sucking up innocent lives. Yeah, you know, and um, and I feel like that was sort of what the scene where we're introduced to James Gandolfini is kind of supposed to represent. Yeah, you mean where where he's getting the blowjob? Yeah, he's just running a, a a casting couch operation right out of his office. But at the same time, uh, they don't really do anything with that beyond just sort of a springboard for Nicolas Cage to make threats. Right. I mean, I mean, I think that's the, the real problem is that they touch on this stuff, but it just turns into, I mean, it's like trying to praise taken for, uh, the taken movies for, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, exposing white slavery or whatever. It's like, that's not the point of those movies. The point is to see, Liam Neeson cracking heads and and that's kind of like yeah. the the point of this movie is to 
revel in the dark side of humanity and then kind of just be like, nothing matters. You can't change anything. It'll change you. <laughs> and if it, you, if you dance with the devil, yeah. uh, you better not have two left feet. Yeah. You better learn, <laughs> learn the steps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's just like okay. If you dance with the devil. He's gonna show you his demo. <laughs> so, so let's see. I'm looking um, in uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli, by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Um, Why did they pick Captain Corelli? I, I I think that was just the most like at the time of publish at. Publishing at the yeah, time of, the, of publishing, of publishing that, that that was the most did recent. Did anyone film. even like see that movie? I I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't. Well, we're about yeah, to. I don't think it got good reviews. No, but people wanted to know who the man was. But apparently, from the <laughs> clips, like I've seen a couple clips, and he does the most god awful Italian accent no. I've ever heard anyone. No, oh my, did you oh, not know? No, about I this haven't thing? watched oh, it. Oh my <laughs> god. Oh no, you're I in for such a treat. He was supposed to even be foreign. I yeah. Don't think. Yeah, he's supposed yeah, to be no, Italian. Hey, yeah, it's a me, Captain Corel. No, I, I mean, like, literally, it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> almost there. Like, it's almost that bad. <laughs> Sweet. Like how, like someone pitched that, and by, at that point in Nick Cage's career, like the director must have been approached by people being like, "Don't do this." Like you can't, you can't make him do an accent. You can't do it. <laughs> I, I assume. Happen? I assume he, he chose, chose the accent yeah. from what, if I've learned anything about Nick Cage from this <laughs> podcast is that any questionable uh, decision that he makes as an actor is usually his own decision. He's, he's not uh, coerced fair. into anything. Okay. Uh, he said, uh, he said about this movie, um, he, he recalled meeting David Bowie backstage uh, at an event and uh, Bowie told him that he, he the, the trick to being, to remaining pure in your work is to never get comfortable. So, uh, so he, that's why he made eight millimeter was because it made him very uncomfortable. I mean, it is an extremely uncomfortable film for everyone involved. And uh, it, it made the world uncomfortable because it got fucking panned. Even, even Larry Flint came out against this movie. Well, yeah, because it, it paints all pornographers as the most depraved human beings on earth. Yeah. Like, see, and, and this is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to go to bat for those sorts of alternative lifestyles, but I, it, you can't just make the jump from like everyone into bondage is like, a, is, is, <laughs> will, will be willing to murder someone in cold blood. It, it's the slippery slope. Yeah. Thing. And it's yeah. just too, it's, I didn't, I, I don't buy it. Um, but yeah. yeah. Also, I, I don't put really any stock in, uh, Larry Flint's face saving. Yeah, or I don't, I don't, uh, but, I don't but care he's about an his opinion. He's on an anything. upstanding citizen. Miles, he can't stand at all. <laughs> oh shit! Um, <laughs> leave that in. Kind of cut that I'm out. Definitely not. Um, I'm definitely not editing that out. Uh, here's a here is a uh, here's a, a clip from a review um, at the. What what do I want to say? It. This is this is from the Los Angeles Times uh, film critic Kenneth Turan. He said, "Those foolish, no, I'm sorry, those foolhardy enough to place themselves at the mercy of eight millimeter can expect the following emotions: disgust and revulsion, 
then anger, followed by a profound and disheartening sadness. There are some films whose existence makes the world a worse place to live, and this is one of them. I can't really argue with that. And to which uh, Joel Schumacher responded, what's wrong with a story about someone who, through their own repulsion and repulsion and indignation over this takes action. Why not? Because it might make some people uncomfortable. Well, so what does film only exist as medication? When you make a movie like patch Adams, you're hoping you're going to leave people with a heartfelt, warm, inspired feeling. You make eight millimeter. You're hoping to disturb. And if you disturb the audience, you've done your job. Okay. Therein lies. The problem is that he's comparing it to patch Adams, which is the <laughs> worst possible example of the other side of the spectrum. He did. Yeah. If, the, if those were the choices, it's like, um i i don't know i i i'm fascinated by schumacher's career oh you just pulled up the imdb for yeah 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 i did so uh i want to did joel schumacher also make falling down yes yes he did which i think is a phenomenal movie and also extremely nihilistic but in a much more entertaining way uh he also made cannot i mean i i feel like i don't know how Joel Schumacher interprets that movie. Yeah, I don't either. And I feel, uh, I feel like how, depending on what he would have to say about it, uh, I would be doubly troubled by this movie. It, it's weird. Those two things being paired together. Like it, it yeah. I, well, what's even weirder is he went right from falling down to the client to Batman forever. To, don't skip over. He also did. Uh, the- I apologize. He also directed Seal's Kiss from a Rose video as well, <laughs> somewhere in that same time. Um, but I, I mean, for for those who aren't Schumacher heads, um, he was uh, he was on a hot streak in the late '80s with uh, Saint Elmo's Fire and uh, The Lost Boys, and um, that, Flatliners and flat, Flatliners, which which they're remaking now. Yeah, they, it's supposed to be really bad. I mean, I did they get Schumacher to direct the new one? Because if no, so, it probably sucks. <laughs> they did not. But and then he 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 directed a couple of John Grisham movies, which did really well, and then just completely destroyed the Batman franchise. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you to task on that one, Dave. Um, I know that I've threatened this before, and I think this is appropriate a time as any to bring this up. I I am a huge fan of <laughs> Schumacher's Batman what? I- installments. What? I am. Here's the thing. I like my Batman with a little bit of camp. Yeah. You know, like I, I can I I can I can get down with the Dark Knight. I I don't okay. think that they're like I think they're really well crafted movies. What about Tim Burton? Um Tim Burton's I really like too. And I and I'm not I'm not an insane person. I'm not gonna say that <laughs> Batman and Robin is the best Batman movie, okay. but uh, people just give the like, people shit on them so much, and I don't understand why. Um, well, they suck. No, <laughs> um, I I think I will say that because people who are into Batman don't want to have to admit that they're for children. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is that those movies are are aimed at at young kids. Even like I I really loved the animated series growing up. And yeah, I, which was like nakedly aimed at children, but the, and yet I feel like it's it might it's be more the most adult enduring. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, it might be the most enduring Batman adaptation. I think so. It's my favorite still. Yeah. Um, but the Batman and Robin and Batman Forever were like even as a child, I was like, mm, that's kind of dumb. But but they're visually, I think they're visually really fun. And um, there's 
just from, I will say that like this, well, I think Schumacher started as a, he did costumes, I think was, um, he was like a costume designer. So there's like, oh, no, no. He, I believe he was a shoemaker. <laughs> oh, Schumacher. Um, oh. yeah, I believe he, he mod shoes. God, don't cut that one out. No, no way. <laughs> um, but uh, the the like sets the visual elements of those uh, the Batman movies that he made I think are are pretty fun. Um, I think that they would have also been a better vehicle for a Nicolas Cage Joel Schumacher collaboration. Oh shit! That he should have been his Batman. He should have been Clooney. He could have been literally anybody. Yeah. He w- Dude, Cage is like a Batman villain. Cage is like the Riddler. Oh my god! Yeah. Or or Mr. Freeze. Well, hey, I got a eh. question for you, buddy. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> Nick Cage is poison ivy. <laughs> Nick Cage is Bane. <laughs> which which wait, I'm sorry. I'm 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 sorry to keep tying Schumacher like back to his Batmans, but Machine was kind of Bane. He right? was. He was actually a better Bane than um the Christopher Nolan Bane, I'll say. I, I I fucking love the Christopher Nolan Bane. I'm what? sorry. Okay. Oh yeah. Really? I mean, I don't know. I never read the the Bane comics or anything. Yeah. Uh, it just it just brought so much joy. Like everything that came out of Tom Hardy's like stupid gloved over mouth uh, <laughs> was just like uh, just pure entertainment. I I couldn't understand it. Like literally, like literally, uh, okay. I couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> he was like an old cartoon of like a like a eighteen hundreds like tycoon style villain. Yeah. Okay. Or something. Uh, yeah. Like I see underneath that. his mask, he had a huge handlebar mustache. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's dead on. But uh, but yeah, Nicholas Cage's Bane. We'll never see it, but never say ne- never say never. Um, yeah. True. Uh, Miles, do you want to go to bat for Joel Schumacher's The Phantom of the Opera or uh, the number 23? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I, I will fall on oh, that shit, sword. Oh, did the number 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so first oh, of all, first shit. of all, Phantom, I, as Dave, as you know, uh, I hate musicals. <laughs> uh, Phantom of the Opera is one of maybe four or five musicals that I can stand. And I think that, yeah. I, I think that, uh, his adaptation of, of Phantom is like, pretty good yeah like it's not which one um, was that but that wasn't the one that came out with uh like gerard butler uh uh, Uh, yeah 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 yeah. and uh what's her name um uh emmy rossum right okay yeah yeah. and then uh and uh i I remember i saw that with my school um i don't know why that was a school field trip idea yeah that seems a weird you you went to the theater to see it yeah i don't know my school was weird and would just to do shit like that sometimes uh but uh yeah and i remember i was like 13 and i fucking loved it and uh <laughs> i mean like i had no friends like and and uh like my opinion on that movie definitely cemented that i think the, the phantom was your friend uh yeah well darkness was my friend <laughs> um Did- yeah i just remember like I remember proclaiming my love for that movie at some point and like everyone in the class turn their laughing, back on you <laughs> that's, laughing, laughing into their shirt. Oh, uh, that's, I'm that's sorry. kind of beautiful though. Yeah. But that, yeah. 
like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you stood up for yourself, even at such a young age. Do you think um, if you had said that you loved the movie, the number 23, um, they would have reacted the same? No, because um, the number 23 came out at like peak hot topic sensibility. And I feel like uh, the kids in my age group when that movie came out would not have been able to tell that that movie was stupid. Yeah. It's stupid, but like, honestly, I would, I would recommend anyone listening to this, anyone listening to this, to this pod right now, I would, I would recommend the number 23 over eight. (laughs) Okay. Hardcore (laughs) seven and the number number 23 23 and just, 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 you don't even need to see eight millimeter. That's a great night. (laughs) Triple feature. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. Good God. Uh, All right. Well, um, do we have any closing thoughts uh, on on this on this movie? Is there anything left to say? If you dance with the devil, uh, you better wear comfortable shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Um, yeah, Mackenzie, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for of course. Um, thank you for having me. I'm glad that you watched this movie, e- even without us asking you to. I, it, this was kismet. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, do you, you want to be our guest again in any future episodes? You- uh, you know, if you, uh, when you finally get to, uh, to knowing, I think, uh, yeah. I'd like to weigh in. All right. Okay, cool. All right. You're, you're our guy. Cool. Um, Hell yeah. all right. Well, yeah, again, thanks Mackenzie. Uh, and, um, do we have any, do we have anything else? Should we, should we close out Dave? No, just if you, if you're one of the mysterious people who's actually listening to this, um, like us on iTunes or like rate us yeah. or do whatever, subscribe you know. and rate because yeah. th- those are the things that, that, that bump you, uh, yeah. that, that feed the algorithm. Yeah. Is that what, I yeah, don't know they, what the they terminology is. And, yeah. and just make sure that you leave a note and tell iTunes that these are two very nice boys. Yes. Uh, um, that we're, we're nice and our opinions are the only ones that matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Oh, shit. We have to play the panther roar. Dude, we do this every single time. I know. It's okay. <laughs> oh, wait, that wait, was, wait. That was okay. Great. Do it. Okay, hold on, hold on. Do, do, it, do it one more time. <laughs>